Welcome to Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian company, Euros Hartleys. This is a podcast series where we take time out to get to know the story behind the people who front some of Western Australia's leading companies. We look back at some of the moments in their life and career that shaped the journey to being the leader they are today and provide you with some real insights into the way they think and approach things, both in business and in life. So get the volume adjusted in your car or your headphones sorted and settle in for a great story. Here is your Finding the Front host, Tim Banfield. Hey everyone, continuing on from part A of our interview with Richard Hyde, founder, CEO and executive chairman of West African Resources. We keep going on this seriously insightful journey of building a gold mine in West Africa. That brings us to starting WAF. Yeah. Okay. And and this is really where we've, I mean, this is where the journey begins in, in essence. Yeah. So I've been writing these independent Joe's reports and these companies have been getting listed and, and thinking, like, I'm sure I could go and peg some ground and we could, we could do something. And I, I worked in most of the West African countries at that point. I had some really good contacts and some good experiences in Burkina. Yeah. So I'd been to Burkina in 2002 for a company called Volta. And this is the irony of what we've just done by acquiring Kiaka. So the irony of this is that in 2002 when I went to Burkina, it was to look at some projects for Volta Resources. And they'd been exploring in Ghana. And they picked up some ground in Burkina. And, and um, that's the same company that acquired the Kiaka project off Rangold and ended up being kind of taken out by B2 Gold in 2013. Right. And we've ended up with that project <laughs> yeah. in 2021. So it's, it's, the irony is there. But backing up to sort of putting together a decent land package. So my idea back then was if we could peg, you know, 2,000 square kilometres roughly or, or about a 50 to 100 kilometres of strike of greenstone belts, of new virgin greenstone belts, that we could, you know, you'd find a deposit. Because I think if you look at most greenstone belts around the world, whether they're Proterozoic or Archean in Western Australia or in Africa or India or kind of anywhere, there, there are major deposits sort of, if you, if you can get enough of the strike, you can find a deposit in 50 to 100 strike kilometres of greenstone generally. And we managed to get information, a lot of data on, on Burkina, so I got the regional geophysical data, um, I already had a lot of the, the regional geology data, and I sat down with a mate of mine, Mike Morawa, and we did some structural reviews and found a really nice target in central Burkina Faso. And the geology map said granite. The geophysics definitely looked like greenstone. We started doing some, I did some literature searches on that and pulled some information from the, um, the geo survey in Burkina. And sure enough, there'd been exploration done on it previously. So we, we, pegged one, we picked up one little licence. We pegged about six or seven, put it together. And then I started sort of trying to market that for a, either a joint venture or, or you know, in, backdooring into a company or an IPO. Yeah, and that was the next sort of, I guess, journey of learning how to, I guess, weave your way through without sort of losing your shirt in West in West Perth, and <laughs> you know, because I think if you can do anything, in, if you can do a business in Western Australia or in West Perth, you can do it anywhere because, um, you know, it's definitely entrepreneurial, but there's you learn pretty quickly. There's people who know a lot more about this sort of stuff than you do, so you better learn quick, <laughs> you know. So, and I must have had. Um, so I'd quit my job with, with RSG, which wasn't great timing because I had a brand new baby, Haley, who's now 15. Um, my wife wasn't impressed. So and just, just yeah. pause there. So <laughs> you met your wife, Lexi, uh, in Africa? No. No, I met her at Rotnest. At Rotnest, right. Yeah, in, tw- in 2001. So we, um, 
I'd gone across to Rotto with a mate of mine, uh, Daryl Prince, Princey, and we'd been mates at rugby and we were sharing a house at the time. And I saw I'd come back and stay at his house on my breaks from Africa. Yes, we were both at Rotto for the Rotto swim because we had sort of friends who were doing it or paddling. Or, and I met Lexi in the pub and it was pretty good. We got on quite well. Uh, and then she left that night and told me to go and play in the crowd. And I kind of pestered her and kept in touch with her. Then I went back to Africa and I, when we kind of traded emails and, you know, we kept in touch. And then that was pretty much, that was pretty much it. Oh, fantastic. But it turned out that she, she worked in mining as well. So she'd been working with Placidome, been involved with the construction side of mining, which is a bit different. Right. So it turned out we're both in mining anyway. So with that in mind, 2006 starts, you've left your job, you've pegged some land, you have got a new beautiful baby girl. <laughs> it's game on. Yes. So if I can just pause just to give everyone a little bit of context here. So the way I've sort of looked at this, this timeline, 2006, the company's incorporated. 2010, West African Resources IPOs on the ASX. Mm. 2016, you make a discovery. Mm-hmm. You drill for another two years. Yeah. You run a financing process in 2018. Yeah. Four banks in a syndicate and Taurus. Yes. 2019-20, you build a plant ahead of schedule. Yeah. You sign a mining convention with the government of Burkina Faso. Mm. You pour your first gold in March 20, mm-hmm. ahead of schedule. Mm. Through this whole process, you partner with really high-quality Australian contractors mm-hmm. like Apodium, Parenti, Burncut and Ausdrill to get the job done. Mm-hmm. The headlines read now, West African Resources targets 400,000 ounces a year after buying Kiaka project from B2 Gold. Yeah. What a story. Yep. So if we go back in time, you've gone from junior to producer. Mm-hmm. It's a long way from pegging a little bit of land in Burkina Faso based on some research you did and to where you are now. Rich, if I can just sort of logical issues stand out, and I just can't <laughs> wait to hear, you, hear your responses. Starting out, people would have said, you can't raise the money to fund the project. Correct. You raise the funds. Yeah. Then they said, you can't get a team to build the project. Yep. You put together a quality team and you built the project. Yep. Then they said, commissioning is where these things fall over. They wait until you commission and they invest. Mm -hmm. You commission very well. Mm. Then, to cap it off, you've achieved top end and looking to exceed your guidance in the first year of production. Yep. Accompanied by obtaining low all in sustaining costs of less than US $800 an ounce. Yeah. And the company has a market capitalization of in excess of a billion dollars. Yeah. A bit hard to believe, really. It, it is. And it's so, look, if we go back, you know, you, you arrive over there, the exploration starts. Yeah, I had no idea it ended up like this. So, but I think sometimes if you know too much, you wouldn't do things. So, I've also had the, uh, the opportunity, been very lucky to get the opportunity to actually, I think, grow as a person and as a manager with the company. So I've done my own little MBA doing it. Like back when I was working for RSG Global, learning all those things about, you know, metallurgy and mining and underground mining. And I got a crash course in it and we got to do it very quickly, which was, which was really good. And then I guess the last 15 years, doesn't seem it's taken that long, but it kind of accelerates. And then once you've done th- something once or you made a mistake and you kind of say to yourself, I'm never making that mistake again. Yes. It's a good way to learn. Because I think we all make mistakes. It's a critical thing that we don't keep making the same mistakes. And 
that's the reason why. Like even this deal for Kiaka went really quickly. You know, we I had a real I had a plan on how it should roll out. From all that experience, from you know raising the toughest raise was I ever did was two point one million dollars. I think I've talked about this before. We had a million dollars from Ausdrill from Ron Sayers on a handshake, and we raised the rest of it with with Hartleys at the time. But you know, in reality, it was myself and the chairman at the time, Francis, and we hit up all the existing shareholders. And the deal was we had to get a million dollars to match the million dollars from Austral, and it was the hardest raise I've ever done. We got two point one million dollars, and I said we're oversubscribed. because we were just and so ron really was a backer in the early days yeah on the basis of a handshake he he backed you in yeah that's right and we'd had um you know the deal was with ron he said look we'll give you a million bucks if you spend a million bucks on drilling and i said no problems we'll do that and you know we had Ausdrill's rigs on site from 2016 we've got parenti on site now doing the contract mining from the open pits and drill and blast and you know we've still got Ausdrill parenti on site yeah, at the same time, we've, we've had very good relationships with Geodrill. So Dave Harper, who probably isn't so well-known here in Australia, but an Australian guy who used to, he went to, to Ghana for Stanley's back in the 90s and then set up his own company. It's listed in Canada, Geodrill. So we've had Geodrill on site for probably eight years now. Those long, you, just those, on those drilling, yeah. but back when WAF started out, you, mm. you set up or bought your own drill rigs, didn't you? Well, we did uh, to, to do the initial geochem work because... If you go back to when we listed in 2010, the market had kind of popped. And 2011, you couldn't get rigs in Africa. You couldn't get rigs in Burkina. So we, we'd built three auger rigs on the back of land cruisers. And that ended up being three auger rigs plus two air core rigs on the back of land cruisers, which ended up being seven drill rigs in the end with a couple of diamond rigs as well. And, you know, the, the dark days really from 2012 to 2000 and 2015, gold price was hit its lowest point. We raised that last $2.1 million in December 2015. The gold price was just holding above $1,000 an ounce. And we managed to do all that drilling with our own rigs and save a lot of money and keep the news flow going. So if you've gone through our announcements from 2013, 14 and 15, there was this regular news flow. WAF hits 15 metres at 2.5 grams a tonne, like to the point where the market just got bored with it. But we had to keep putting news out there to try and keep interest in the stock, to try and keep the share price up so we could raise money. Because I knew it was going to work in some sort of form. Like even, you know, the, the project we had it then, we would have done a small heat bleach and it would have made money. But thankfully we made a discovery in 2015, end of 2015. We didn't really know it. But by 2000 and early 2016, we realised that we were onto something special. It was, we started getting some fantastic results, you know, 20 metres at 50 grams. And, and this thing is being mined now. And I know that, we don't bother, bother releasing our grade control results, but I know the guys are getting like 5,000 grams per tonne on some of the grade control and some of the sampling underground. And we know that when it's running through the plant now, we'll have days where we're running well over an ounce, so 30 grams per tonne and out of the underground, and we're blending that with some of the low grade from the open pit. But we'll have days where you know, we're doing 2,000 ounces a day on site. Quite amazing. Amazing. You know, when you first started drilling, just try and explain... What's that feeling like when you're in anticipation waiting for to see if you've <laughs> struck gold? Yeah, it's, it, um, oh, it's exciting. You know, th- until recently, I was still getting all of the assays from the lab to my personal email at work, and I'd still check them. And that's just the exploration geologist in me. I like to, make, to, to look and make sure things are going well and ask questions, always ask lots of questions. But um, 
yeah, the, when we first started getting results in 2016, uh, I think we had a metre of four metres at 36 grams, if you go back and look, and that was our one of our composites. So we're doing four metre composites in RC drilling. And we went back and did the one metre splits, so you sample the one metre intervals, and I think there was a metre over 100, and, and then it repeated. And then we drilled more holes and we got the sort of similar results. And that's when we kind of knew that we are onto something special. Absolutely fascinating. And so with regards to that, you firm up, the, the resource, mm. but then you decide, well, see, my sort of understanding with, the, with geology is that there's geologists who like to just stick to their, the knitting of exploration. They, they leave the manufacturing of plant, building the mills, etc., to someone else. Mm. You decided to say, right, well, we've got now the resource, we're <laughs> going to go the next stage. Yeah, we tried. Um, so we, we actually did run a process in early 2018, and we had interest from some of the, the bigger groups out of North America. But it also coincided with the marijuana boom in Canada. So all of the speculative money was pulled out of the gold market at the time when we were trying to sell ourselves and didn't, just didn't work. So, you know, I can remember sitting in a hotel room in Toronto. Um, I'd gone on a marketing trip and had a call with the team that we were working with. At, at that time, we were working with Macquarie Bank here in Perth and out of Toronto to try and get a good bid for the company. And we just said, thanks, boys. It um, hasn't worked this time. You know, I'm going to let everyone know that we, we're going to push on and build the project. And another ex-Macquarie Bank guy, um, Nick Harch, and Brett Gossage, who I'd worked pr- with previously at, at RSG Global, we used Nick and Brett to, to run the process for funding the project with, with debt finance. So I think, um, and that was sort of what you were saying before on, on one of the quotes, you know, we had four banks in syndicate by the end of 2018, and we also had Taurus offering $200 million US million to build the project. And we signed the deal in the first week of December and we made our first drawdown in the first week of April. So $75 million US and, you know. The and, why, and why did you end up going with Taurus in the end versus the four bank syndicate? Uh, the ability to deliver, really. Because, you know, we'd, we'd studied it, we'd sat down with, with um, Nick, Brett, and also um, John Fitzgerald, who used to be on the Northern Starboard. So that's a, our advisory group that we used, um, Arimco. And with the board at the time and, and the exec team and we, we thrashed it out and we looked at all the potential angles and possibilities and I guess benefits and um, disadvantages of each, each offer. And when it comes down to it, you need the money. So being able to get 200 million US dollars in one, from one group was going to be, there was more certainty on that than getting maybe 170 or 180 million dollars from four banks. You know, because you're dealing with four different credit departments and four different en- environmental departments. And yes, keeps things simpler. Simple is my sort of my <laughs> approach in life. Yes, definitely. Okay, so with that done, you're ahead of schedule. It gets built, and you pour your first first gold in March 2020. Yeah, in that a must pandemic. have been <laughs> <laughs> in a pandemic. But you must have been extremely proud. Yeah. So I'd say um, probably second best moment. You know, oh, maybe shit, I'll be in trouble with Lexi, but third maybe, getting married, having a baby, pouring a bar of gold was pretty exciting. Like, I've oh, seen the was... photos, Rich. You, you can't <laughs> wipe the smile off the face. No, no, it was, a, it was an amazing moment in my life and I guess the culmination of all those years of anxiety and anticipation and sort of hard work and, you know, self-doubt. You know, though you might not believe it, you know, I've, I'm very self-critical and um, probably something that helps drive me as well. Well, from my observations, you're a very fair and a 
approachable person, which has clearly been able to manage a lot of people to get to the level you're at. And mm. you've been able to do it in a way that they look up to you and follow you as a leader, which when you're managing now 1,300 people, and it's it, it sort of, I think, the mark of the person that you've become or, you, or the incentive or the motivation that you've had to build the business the way you have is probably best looked at in the way you're looking to give back to the community and the region. Mm-hmm. And I think when you read deeply into the way you present and but also the presentations that you provide, there's a lot devoted to that side of it. Yeah. And I just, I just sort of, a couple of statistics that, you know, in terms of giving back to the region, I know you had to engage with the local community before you could embark on the projects that you wanted to achieve. Yeah. But in doing so, you've been able to give them, through your success, some real opportunity. Social, economical, new homes, cattle yards, schools, health programs for meningitis, malaria. It's a, there's a big difference between exploration and, and being a successful money-making venture. Yeah. Um, so, could, maybe you could just give yeah. us a little bit of an insight into in what really drives you in this area and the relationships you've got. I noticed of your workforce, you've got 90% from mm. Burkina Faso. Yeah. So it's, it's something that's very hard to do as an exploration company. So you, the effect or the, the impact you can have really is, um, you know, you can, you're taking young mostly young guys and sometimes girls out of the local villages and training them to be technicians, you know, training them to, in, in the same sort of process that we were, were talking about in Western Australia, doing exploration. But it's very hard to be, um, to, to kind of commit and have something that's long-standing because, you know, exploration, it's like going to the casino, you know, you, you try and stack things in your favour so you find something, but if you don't find something, then hope, you leave you leave an experience. Those people have had a job and they've they've learned how to, you know, find gold hopefully, or you know, keep records and maintain vehicles and and, and those sorts of things. But when you get into mining, you you finally got longevity, so you can actually give back. Like I have talked about it, and it's because I have had a long experience in Africa as well, and it's a really it's a shame seeing what's happened in Burkina and Mali in the last twenty years since I've been working there. I, I can remember driving through you know Ghana, Burkina, Mali, Senegal into Ivory uh, into Sierra Leone and flying home again and also into Guinea as well, doing a drive through all those countries in two thousand and five. And, you know, you just wouldn't think about doing it now, unfortunately, because it's not safe. But the people who are there haven't done anything wrong. Like it's not their fault that they're you know, there's you know, so much unrest in the northern part of Burkina, southern part of Mali. And often I get the question from investors, you know, how do we manage that and what why are we there? Are we looking at going to other countries? Well, you know, well, yeah, we, we do obviously do look at projects in other countries, but you know, we've been given the opportunity in Burkina again with Kiaka, and it's a country that needs investment. And so quite often I would say, you know, think about, you know, before you hand your money over in that supermarket to, to one of the NGOs who, who might lose, you know, 70% of your money in administration, like only 30% of it might get into the, to the people who need it. You know, so if you buy shares in WAF, you know, you can look at our admin costs, they're about... F- they're probably lowest in the industry for, for our company and I was going to say $4 million bucks a year. It's probably a bit more than that these days, but it used to be pretty pretty low. Yes. So you know that the, the bulk of what we are doing is getting back and making a difference in people's lives now. And, you know, I, I try not to get caught up too much in the, um, the virtue signalling uh, because I just think if you keep doing a good job, the outcomes will kind of reflect well on, on us as people in the company and also, you know, we've got people who have, Backed us as shareholders from 
you know, 2010 and before, before even really. And, and they can be proud as well. Yes. I know that in the commercial metrics, you've got a 1% community dividend. That's right. So that's in the new mining code in Burkina. So 2015, they bought a new mining code in. So, you know, we pay 27.5% corporate tax. There's a 1% dividend. You know, it's 1% of revenue goes to the, the local community. Uh, there's, you know, we, we pay 5% royalties. And when you actually, and then the government also has a 10% free carried interest. So, you know, you kind of got to add all those things together to kind of work out that about 50% of the revenue of the project goes back to the local stakeholders and the government. So it's a pretty fair outcome. Um, we hope it stays that way in Burkina because there's always pressure from governments to, to get more. And I guess with the gold price going higher, there'll be pressure on that in the future. But certainly for our project, we're um, uh, under the, the 2015 mining code, which kind of is life of project for us. So you know, we've got stable terms for the period of the project, but you know, they may look at new projects that are coming in. So if you're exploring in other parts of the country and something else is found, if they update the mining code, then that'll affect future projects. Yes. That's kind of how it works. Okay. Yeah. Now that the acquisitions just happened with Kiaka, yeah, really exciting. Just raised, you know, 126 million. Yep. Onwards and upwards. You know, if you look forward, if we could just sort of observe without having to go into too much detail, but what, mm. you know, how's it looking going forward now that you've got that production facility, mm. you've got Kiaka coming on. How's it look going forward, Rich, for you? Oh, look, it's getting back into our comfort zone again. So we as a group, we really like doing studies and then trying to get the, my personal sort of enjoyment comes from trying to get the best out of assets. So B2, we're looking at Kiaka as a 12 million tonne per annum operation, I, that, which is big and it'll be too big for us. I think we'll be looking at it at seven or eight million tonnes per annum. We want to go as big as we can on those, on the mills and keep it simple. So um, use, use equipment that's been used before in Africa. And what that will do, it'll probably generate a project which is more than 15 years of mine life and higher than 220,000 ounces production per annum. So that's from the, you know, the internal work that we did when we were doing our due diligence. But we'll, we'll, um, we'll keep working on that internally and working on the, the feasibility study and we'll have reserves out early next year on Kiaka. But I can see us being, you know, 400 to 500,000 ounce a year production on two assets now. We kind of include Tawiga in San Brado. It's the same asset. Yes. Tawiga's just a satellite pit from 14 kilometres from San Brado. So San Brado's going to be long life, 200,000 ounce a year production. We're now debt free. We're unhedged. We, we're going back into study. We'll have lots of news flow early next year on the, on the new project. It's pretty unique. We're in a very sort of good position in Burkina. We're central and southern. Two assets are within 45 kilometres of each other. We've got a very experienced workforce now and like you said, 90% local Burkinabe uh, workforce and we've got about 10% expats. And of that 10% expats, we've got people from, uh, expats from within Africa. So, you know, Guinea, Kenya, Tanzania, uh, Ghana. We've got international expats, I suppose, out of Africa expats. So, yes. you know, North America, so US from Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, France. Uh, we've hired a guy out of Suriname recently so you know it's, yeah <laughs> it's quite amazing when you kind of have the opportunity to hire out globally as well and the quality of some of the people and you know the skill set they've got is so different and not only are they, can, can they be competent in their profession but you know when you start working overseas you you meet these really clever people who can speak not just two languages they might speak three or four or five and we've got people in our in our company now who, who can speak four or five languages fluently wow. half of our office in Perth is pretty much French speaking. Yes. Bilingual, except for me and Lyndon. <laughs> no, my French is, it gets better the more beer I drink. <laughs> but um, 
<laughs> just can't do that during the daytime when I'm talking to ministers. How exciting. Yeah, it is It is really exciting. So I, I can see that's our next stage. We're going to focus on Kiaka now. You know, we've done a great deal. We've been working with B2 on that for four or five months. You know, it's, it's a big asset, Kiaka. It's got potential for more than that. Like B2, we're looking at you know, plus 300,000 ounce production per annum. We've just got to try and size it right for us and then there might be opportunity in the future to scale it up even further. Rich, I can just tell you're so proud of, you know, your team and the company that you've built and you can just tell you're so excited too. Yeah. It's like um, it's like you're opening your Christmas presents. It's, it's um, just I feel very fortunate, you know. I've been a pretty lucky sort of person, I think, all my life. But, I mean, the, yeah. the old adage, I think Gary Player said, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah, that's it true. hasn't come easy. No, not at all. And so I think when, it come, when, it, when you have to work for something, you appreciate it. And we, we certainly appreciate these opportunities. You know, we hope, you know, obviously we, we won the, the Cake Award this year at Euros, Hartley's. Yes. So the lowest cost producer on the ASX. And I think some of that's still sinking into investors as well, that you can actually do all this in, in Africa. Like we've proven that, you know, we can develop a project there and also get money back out of the project because you speak to what some investors say, well, you know, you only put money into Africa. Well, that's not true because we've, we've proven through the work we've done in the last 18 months you know, we rapidly got money up and out of Africa and paid back tourists. I think we had tourists sort of half paid back before we did the, the, the capital raising to fund Kiaka and also to pay tourists back. So you know, we've proven that it can work. Africa does work, you know. Yes. The second best producer on the ASX is Perseus and they're in, they're in Ghana on the Ivory Coast. You see the sort of prices of assets that are being sort of dealt at the moment in Western Australia and they're at the top end. You know, there's, there's not a lot of money being made on these assets in Western Australia, really, in comparison to, to Africa. And that's the opportunity because, you know, like we were saying at the start, Africa is still a new sort of destination, really, for exploration. So a lot of these modern methods that are being applied here in Western Australia haven't been applied there yet. Well, I've got a couple of rapid-fire oh, yeah. questions for you okay. just to, to round it out. It's been, it has been a truly... Amazing journey, and, and we, as I say, we're, we're really grateful for you to take the time out to have a chat with us. I just want to come from some of the listeners will look at gold companies, mm. and what should they look for when they're looking to invest in a gold company, when they're doing their due diligence, they're doing their research? What are some of the things, when you compare, I mean, you've, you've highlighted with WAF the benefits and the advantages, what would, should they look for? I'm an exploration geologist, so I look at all body geometry and, and sort of the style of mineralization. So you want to deposits that can lend themselves to convention and mining techniques. So that's one thing that investors should look for. I think with the gold price getting high, you're going to see more refractory projects coming to market. But I think simple, keeping things simple is important. So look for conventional milling and recovery methods. So certainly for development projects and if you're looking at companies that have got multiple assets, you want, to, you want big sort of simple sort of free milling assets if, if you can get them. You need experience management and you know, certainly we've managed to pull together a, a pretty exceptional team. Yes over the last sort of years yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it takes time but it's obviously accelerated in recent years so that's important and then you know if you're looking at operations you've got to go and have a look at how much free cash they're generating I mean that's that's what Euros Hartleys have done with corporate oil in costs yes which is important because some of these older assets in Western Australia they might have good looking oil and sustaining costs but when you add in growth capital or sort of additional sustaining capital or you know, capital that's required to expand an operation um, or to access a new deposit, you know, they often end up making not a lot of money. And ultimately, if you want to do all the good things that I think mining does do, and I think we don't talk enough about it, so social programs, you know, restoring land back to, to levels that are better than when we started with it, that's one thing we focus on at WAF. 
Yes. You know, you need to make money on it. You know, otherwise you're just making money for contractors and for the government paying taxes and employees. So to generate free cash to pay dividends or, or to create cash so you can grow the company, yes. that's really important. So that, that's what I'll be looking for. Okay. Thanks for that. That's really good guidance. Next one would be, if I was a graduate looking to get into geology, what would you say? Definitely do it. Because we we're don't we not getting enough graduates across the industry. So whether it's geology or mining, engineering, metallurgy, surveying, any of the, the key disciplines involved in mining. I think um, if you look at not just gold, but if you look at some of these other industries where you know, if we're going to go to this green economy where we're going to be driving electric cars, then yes. the amount of copper that's got to go into an electric car is, is phenomenal, and which means we've got to go and find more copper deposits and mine them and process them. The same thing with lithium. You know, I think lithium will probably... It'll taper out because it's a very common element. You know, it's it's, it's in a, in a supply squeeze at the moment, but lithium as well is you know to to fill the void in the economy at the moment. We're going to need more people in mining and in exploration, and so we need more graduates. So, you know, I'm encouraging encouraging my daughter to perhaps look at metallurgy because I think she's good at maths and chemistry. She, yes, her, her chemistry level already is probably better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I did get through second year chemistry somehow at university. Rich. We won't hold you to this one, but what's your view on the gold price going forward? Uh, look, I think gold is going higher. I think it's going to go to many thousand dollars per ounce because you know they're not making more of it. It's you've got to go and find more of it, and you can't make it. So, like I, I'm not a believer in crypto. You know, if if you believe in catastrophism, you know, if, if the biggest sort of things that we're going to deal with in the future are if it's climate change, then we're lucky because I don't think it's climate change. I think. You know, if we have global cooling, so if you read the short history of nearly everything by Bill Bryson, yeah. it kind of puts them in, things in perspective. You know, if we have cold winters where we can't grow crops, then people starve. You, you don't have that with global warming. You're going to have more areas that open up for cropping. So historically, in Earth's history, I'm not going to give you, I'm not giving you a very short answer here, but, <laughs> but Earth's history, periods of, of warming, we've actually had economic boom and booms in, in human development and growth. So Look, my, my fear is that we have some sort of turmoil in the future and that's why I think people need some gold in their investment portfolio. Can you imagine a situation where the governments aren't in control of the internet anymore or some, some you know, international players hack the internet and how do you get your crypto off the website because you, you've got to start a generator because you've got no grid power? You know, these are the sort of things that could happen. It happens in other countries you know, where you have brown uh, outages, your power being shut down. So if you're relying on a million dollars on a thumb drive, then... I think you've got problems. You know? So I believe that gold is it's a good investment. I think investors should have some gold in their portfolio, whether it's physical gold, investing in gold stocks or gold producers. I, I have physical gold as well, I believe. I bought the first bar of gold out of Dambrado and I'll buy the first bar of gold out of Kiaka as well. So you know, I paid for it. And I just, you know, when you read stories about the SAS being dropped into the Afghanistan in the first Gulf War, yeah, they had gold sovereigns sewed into their uniforms. They weren't going in with a thumb drive, you know, because what are you going to do with that? <laughs> so right. anyway, that's my view on it. I just think it's, it's fanciful where something's been created and then has become a scarce commodity. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, whether you believe in God or the universe or whatever, there's, gold is already scarce. We've had thousands of years to kind of get used to it as a, as a commodity or as a currency, and it's amazing. Anyone who's a sceptic on gold, if you hand them a gold bar that's 20 kilos and it's the size of a house brick, you know, you convert them very quickly. It's a pretty amazing thing. They get a feel thing. for it. Oh, for sure. It's amazing. And the first gold bar I, bar I bought out of San Brado and my daughter sort of looked at it and she was 
Their eyes were kind of nearly fell out of nearly head. Fell out of head. And like, Dad, how much is that worth? <laughs> no, it's amazing. So gold is 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 great. It's something that in my career as a geologist, it's gone from about four hundred dollars an ounce down to two hundred fifty dollars an ounce. It's been up to two thousand dollars an ounce, and now it's sort of almost back at two thousand dollars an ounce now. So like I know by the time I retire, it's going to be at least double where it is now. So you want to have some of it. Hey, Rich, I just want to finish by um, when we caught up you know, prior to this. You know, one of the quotes I, I wrote down. I remember as you have you gone through your career, particularly with WAF, you're saying you had to be a jack of all trades, an exploration geologist. You had to be able to manage geopolitical risk. <laughs> you had to be a travel agent. Yeah. You had to be a master in tropical medicine. Mm. You had to be independent mm. and you had to be resourceful. Mm. I think, you know, it's not a bad way to finish that you've ticked all those boxes and you've been able to generate what is a truly uh, fantastic story. And well done, congratulations. But I say that knowing that there's still a big journey to go and you're completely up for the task. Yeah, like I did say master of none, so I can do a bit of all of those. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I do it well. Yeah, look, we're, we're really keen to, to kind of go on the next journey and I think it'd be a shame for us to, not to reapply what we've learned because it is a huge learning experience taking a project through from discovery through project finance, all the different studies and actually building it and making it work and then not to do it again if we've given it, been given the opportunity and we have. So I think we'll make a really good fist of, of Kiaka. It's going to be a different project. It's going to be bigger and longer life and you know the gold price is high. You know, it'll be a great project and it's a good addition to San Brado. You know, long live WAF plus 400,000 ounces <laughs> per annum. Good on you, Rich. Yes. Hey, thanks again, mate. Really appreciate it. We've, You're welcome. It's been a real privilege. Thanks been a, a pleasure lot. being here. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian wealth management and diversified financial services company, Euros Harleys. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast through your podcast host of choice. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please email our fabulous producer, Bridget, on communications at eurosheartleys.com or visit our website at www.eurosheartleys.com. This podcast has been general information only. Euros Hartleys holds Australian Financial Services Licence 230052.